resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here when we read in Philippians chapter 3, we see that, Christ, uh, that Paul came down and by the Spirit of God in verse 10, he summarized his desire after enumerating the reason why if someone could be righteous according to religious action, according to religious living, he said, I could. But he said uh, uh, that wasn't important to me. In fact, he so much said that he counted it but dung. He said it was worth nothing. And he said what was important was in verse 10 that I may know Him. You understand? That's to have an intimate and a loving knowledge of Christ. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death that if any, by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. And so people, when they first encounter the reality and the teachings of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there are a lot of different responses you get from people. I don't know about you, but I personally, I, I, I want people to receive the Lord and I talk to people about the Lord and want to make sure, uh, visit with people. I visited, we had a family visit with us on Wednesday and I visited with them this week and I went out there and he said, well, we actually have a home church. We were just looking for a church that has midweek service. I said, well, you found a place that has midweek service. I said, but I'm not here. He says, I don't know that you would actually get us in your church. I said, that's not my primary reason for being here. I'm here to talk to you and make sure that you know Christ is your Savior, regardless of where you end up going to church. And with this, you understand when you talk to people, sometimes people have different reactions to it. You might talk to somebody about the Lord and they might seem to brush you off or anything. Don't, don't let that discourage you. First of all, you don't know what's going on inside of them. Second of all, there are a lot of different reactions to it. And uh, uh, maybe the first time you heard the gospel, maybe the first time you were confronted with the truth and the reality of the resurrection, uh, you, you, didn't, you, know, you didn't believe it necessarily at first or you didn't, you didn't follow it right away. Some of you were raised in church. It's been part of, part of your life and it's something you've known from an early age. Um, you know, there were a group of people in the Bible called the Sadducees. And these particular people didn't believe not only they would not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ once He died and was risen, but they didn't believe in the resurrection at all. And sometimes they were fussing and arguing with Jesus about it, and they did what people do in such situations. They made up a completely ridiculous story about a woman dying and marrying brothers, seven different brothers, and having kids by any of them. And so when they get to heaven, whose wife is she? And of course, once you stray away from truth, you can come up with some really, really, really bizarre and dumb scenarios, which that falls in that category. And uh, they, they did that, and they, they had the resulting confusion and, and problem in their uh, source of logic and thinking because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Jesus went so far as to say about them, He said, you do err not knowing the Scriptures, neither the power of God. And they were a group of people, they were a religious group, a religious subdivision of a group, and uh, they, uh, they would have said that they did know the Scripture. And Christ said, you don't know the Scripture. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you don't know the Scripture. And not only that, you don't know the power of God. So that's one reaction. The Sadducees were like it. Another one, in Acts 17, Paul was preaching to some philosophers at the time in, in ancient Athens, Greece, and he was brought to a very prestigious place to speak. Mars Hill was, as I've taught you, is part of the Acropolis, which is about a 500-foot-tall prominence which runs outside of Greece. And, and that Mars Hill that comes out there is a place where Plato spoke, is a place where the learned men were brought to speak. And so when they came to hear him at that spot, that was actually a, it was a pretty prestigious place to come and to talk to people. And we understand there were two basic philosophy groups that showed up. Epicureans, which are basically people who live for sensual pleasure. 
senses. What can I eat? What can I drink? What can I do? How can I be happy that way? The others were Stoics who, uh, who said emotion basically didn't, shouldn't pay, play a pay, hmm, shouldn't be involved, try that, shouldn't be involved in decision making and how we live. Both those, both those philosophies are messed up as so many philosophies are. But as they listened to Paul, he reasoned with them about the unknown God. They had an altar and an inscription on that altar in their town to the unknown God. And he said, I want to talk to you about the God you don't know. And then he started talking to them about God the Creator. Why? Because he that cometh to God must believe that He is. And that He's a rewarder of them which diligently seek Him. And then he went on and he went from there and talked about the resurrection of Christ. And it says when he preached the resurrection of Christ, when he told them that Jesus had come, had given Himself on our behalf and as us, as a payment for sin, and then rose with victory over the grave, over death and over hell. When he preached those things to him, he had three different reactions to it. The Bible says some of them mocked. Talk about Christ raising from the dead. Talk about a resurrection. Some people would mock it. Just you know, make fun of it. Make light of it. Oh, a bunch of superstition. A bunch of hocus pocus. Fairy tale. It said others said we will hear thee again of this matter. And they were not rude in their bearing and such as the mockers were. But they said oh, we'll hear you again. And some of those, I don't know for sure, but some of those could end up being people who end up being what the Bible describes as ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And since the men of Athens says they spent their time only to hear or tell some new thing, they never wanted to reach a point of commitment and understanding and belief. And so because of that, uh, they, they said, we'll hear you again about this matter. They weren't rude. They said, oh, I don't know, we'll listen again. And sometimes that's a... <coughs> I'm going to use the word valid... I'm not going to say it's that God counts it as okay or all right, but it's a truthful response of someone to where they are in their mind. Sometimes that's where somebody is right then. And that's where they were. And it says, uh, it says uh, we'll hear you again in this matter. But the Bible says, you go down in two verses, and it says, others believed. And they claved unto Paul, and they believed. And then it gives a name to some of these people. A lot of different reactions. You would think, we're in the Baptist church this morning. And uh, you've come out. It's Lord's Day morning on Sunday morning. It's Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday. We're meet together in here. And uh, you say, well, probably most, if not everybody in here, believes in the resurrection. I, I believe that would probably be a pretty, pretty accurate statement. But let me say to you, we've got to learn some things about the power of the resurrection, the reality in our lives. It makes a difference. We're not interested in a theoretical Christianity which just deals on the surface of mouthing some things we, we agree to. We're interested in a living faith and a living God. And a living God makes a difference in our living. He always has and He always will with that. Um, we're going to consider the power of the resurrection. I'm going to teach you this morning and preach to you. I'm, you're going to find out the power is based on the reality of the resurrection. That's the first thing we're going to look at. And then the power is access by faith then the power comes from knowing a person and that person is of course the Lord Jesus Christ let's look at these each one look in Acts chapter 1 Acts chapter 1 I know it's a little warm in here right now Aaron I see you flapping back here may I say to you my brother you're going to have to flap harder if you're going to get any altitude try to take a little bit on in in the uh, the building will recognize it in just a moment. Some of you who are perpetually cold are very delighted right now. 
But when uh, you start out in the 30s and it goes up into the high 50s and you fill the room with people, all of a sudden the building has a moment of pause before it catches up. Acts chapter 1, talking about the reality of the resurrection. Look in verse 1. It says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which He was taken up, After that, He through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom He had chosen, to whom also He showed Himself alive after His passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith He, ye have heard of Me." I want you to look in verse 3. It says he was seen of the apostles, of course, in verse 2. And then verse 3, it says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. The term passion there refers to his death, what he went through on the crucifixion when they buried him, those things. It says he showed himself alive after his passion. After the multitudes had seen him die on Calvary. After they'd seen his butchered bloody body on the cross of Calvary after they had seen Nicodemus who had come to him formerly at night, and Joseph of Arimathea who formerly was a a disciple but secretly for fear of the Jews. When they saw those two men, they took the body of Christ down, took him to that tomb that Joseph had had carved out of the stone, his own tomb, an expensive tomb. Sepulchre is the Bible word for it. They laid him in there. The Jews, being fearful of Jesus' influence even after His death, had gotten the governor to give them a Roman guard to put around that tomb. The Roman seal, His signet, the thing that they put on there to say the governor had sealed this, was put on that stone, on that tomb in some way, saying that you're going to be in trouble with the Roman government if you mess with this tomb. They did all that they could do, but it didn't matter. Because on the first day of the week, before the dawning of the day, the earth began to rock and reel. An angel was dispatched from heaven, rolled the stone away, and I love what the Bible says, and sat on it. Sat right on the Roman seal and said, here's what I think about that. The guards fell down like they were dead. Just knocked them out. The presence of that coming. Christ came out of the grave. The women that came early to see Him and, and wanted to anoint the body for burial and do what they could, they came, and of course Mary Magdalene, the lady who had had seven devils in her, she was the first one to see the resurrected Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Of all the people on the earth who've ever lived at any time, this lady who had been so torn, who had been so marred and so muddied by this earth and all that it has, she got to be the first one to ever see the resurrected Christ. And so what happened? She saw Him and She asked, what have you done with the body? Tell him where you've taken him. She thought he was a gardener. And then he called her by name, didn't he? And when he said Mary, called her by name, she knew who it was. And of course, she went back and told and others came and looked and there was the empty tomb. And the napkin, they had like a shroud around the body, but what wrapped the head was a separate piece. Jesus made His bed when He got up. He folded that and was set aside in a separate place. Christ has always done everything well. And then he, the messenger said to those who came, he said, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He's not here. He's risen. 
We could take and put that sign over every artificial comfort that the world offers, over every fake uh, answer for life's problems that the world offers, and we could put that above every one of them and say, why seek ye the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among that which kills? Why? Because Christ is risen. That's where life is. And so all this had happened. Then He appeared to the disciples, and for 40 days He was upon this earth. They saw Him. The largest crowd that's recorded that saw Him once was above 500 people at one single time saw Jesus Christ after He resurrected. That's pretty good evidence, isn't it? And the Bible says by many infallible proofs He did that. And so what is this thing in the power of the resurrection? Well, it's the reality of the resurrection. You know, if you've been in this church very long, I've taken, I've taken exception with the fact that uh, some different publications and it's pushed in some of the school systems, like so much nonsense is, where they're no longer saying A.D. and B.C., but they want to use C.E. and B.C.E. Admonish you Christian young people not to write that. It's a denial. What that's designed for is to deny your faith. It's the only thing it's designed for. It, uh, the Julian calendar is completely effective. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't change anything as far as effectiveness. It's trying to get rid of Christ. I know Domini, Dominio, or now you want to say it, in the year of our Lord, A.D., B.C. is before Christ. So they've tried to supplant it with C.E., meaning common era, and B.C.E., before common era keeping the same structure of time for it. And the madness to discount Christ, supposedly learning people do many foolish things. Well, may there come, it's a man named Jesus Christ. There's a reality of the resurrection. Somebody may say, and they may say it, if I can use the word integrity, they may say it in honest keeping with what their mind thinks. They may say, I don't believe in the resurrection, but there's still reality of it. Christ did not stay dead. I remember a fellow I was giving the gospel to in West Virginia, in a little town of Clay, West Virginia. I ended up walking across the little town with him. I talked to him. He would not quit moving. He said, I'll talk to you, but i got to get somewhere. And uh, <laughs> we walked. We walked and talked. And uh, he, he, towards the end, I'm going to use the word argumentative, although he was not harsh, abrasive, but he was wanted to debate. And I wasn't there to debate. I was talking to him. And he said, well, what about this religion? What about that religion? In the course of it, he brought up different religious leaders of the past. I don't know whether the fellow knew anything about them or not. And, but he, he brought them up. And finally, I stopped him. He got to the point. He says, well, i got to go in here. I said, all right. I said, before you go, let me say one thing to you. And he goes, what's that? I said, you've mentioned different people. You've mentioned different religions and all that. And I said, the difference is, and he's like, what's the difference with Jesus? The difference is Jesus came about the grave. Nobody you've mentioned did. Christ only went into death and came back out. And he, I remember, I remember Dory was going in. He looked at me. He goes, "Well, can't argue that point." No, there's a reality. You want to have a real Christian life? By the way, you'll know you have a real one when you don't leave it at the church house when you go do other things. When Christ is welcome in all your activities, when Christ is welcome in all your living, to have a real Christian life. I don't know about you, I don't want to mess around with stuff. 
I don't want to play at religion. I have no taste for it, no appetite for it at all. I want God to be very real in my life. It grieves me, young folks. It grieves me on days where it feels to me that God's distant from me. Where I open the Bible and it seems like I don't get anything out of it. When I pray, it just seems empty. I even sing the songs of God and it's like it contains no more power than just my own discordant voice. And then there are the great days where God seems close and real. The book flows with truth and thank God for it. And it's just exciting to be with Him. I want to live for God at all the different times. I need Christ. I know about you all today. I need Christ in my life today. Say, aren't you saved? Yes, I'm saved, but I need His presence. I want the reality of it, and I think you want the reality of it. The reality of the resurrection. Watch the power of the resurrection. It's something real. It's not some statues made. It's not some ritual you go through. It's not something like that. It's real. Christ actually defeated death. <laughs> it was a great comfort to me when I put my mama's body in the grave there in eastern Kentucky and preached the service by her graveside to know that mom wasn't there, that that grave could not claim her because her soul had been born again of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing. Let's do here some other time. Everybody behind you is watching. The one I'm waiting to get tickets for you to get theirs done next. All right. What are these infallible proofs? The fact is that Christ has risen from the grave. 1 Corinthians 15, we dealt with a lot today in our classes and our Sunday school classes and such. But it talks there about the resurrection and talks of the first Adam being Adam that was made from the dust of the ground. It talks about the last Adam, Jesus Christ, and how that all that are in the first Adam die and that all that are in the second Adam, in the last Adam, live. And I taught my class, that's where the saying comes in, you're born once, you die twice, there's a second death. The lake of fire that the Bible talks about. If you're born twice, being born again, as Christ said, then you die once, only this body dies. Thank God for it. The power is based on the reality of the resurrection. The power is accessed by faith. Now I'm going to turn you to a passage here, and it's going to contain the last two points in that same passage. Look in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I can hear Bibles turning. John chapter 11. Power of the resurrection is based on the reality. And it's accessed by faith. A lot of things we could say about faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the Bible says. The evidence of things not seen. We understand faith is taking God at His Word and trusting Him. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That was faith. That's how he did it. He believed God. He, he trusted who he was and what he said and what he said to do. John chapter 11, we have recorded what God said to do. We have it in our Bible. That's what God said to do. That's how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do. John chapter 11, verse 17. Let me tell you what was going on very briefly. A number of you are familiar with the account. There was a certain household that Jesus would visit frequently. They were very close to him. He had a special love for them in his earthly time. And there were three people in that household. You had Mary, 
You had her sister Martha. You had their brother Lazarus. And Jesus had been there before and He cared for these people and it was a place of uh, refreshment and refuge for Him as He would walk and travel and teach and uh, they fed His disciples also and took care of them. Lazarus, who would be described in the Bible, someone would say to Jesus, He whom thou lovest. And so they knew they cared about Him. Lazarus became ill. Mary and Martha, his sisters, could see that the illness was very serious. So they sent for Jesus. Jesus, physically, geographically, was not that terribly far away. But what happened was, when the news got to Jesus, He didn't do anything. He just waited. In fact, He waited until after He knew that Lazarus had died. And then He went to where Lazarus was and went to where Mary and Martha were. And uh, that was a very traumatic time for that family. You imagine Martha, it was her house apparently from what the Scripture says. Mary and Lazarus, there was a special closeness. I don't know what had done that, but some, some siblings are that way. Maybe through different things they've experienced in life. Maybe, maybe their parents, I don't know, or had, had passed away or something, but there was something that these three were very, very close. Uh, isn't it funny how different uh, relationships in name can be so different in reality? Some people could say a brother, and that means something very, very close to him, or a sister, and that means something very, very close. And yet another person, it may be a cousin or something that's actually as close. Some people, a, a parent even, uh, does not have the emotional closeness that maybe a grandparent or even an aunt or an uncle has. Funny. Human relationships are a funny thing. But we know that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were all very close. And so Jesus comes, if you can imagine this, they had, Mary and Martha had watched their brother get ill. They'd watched the illness progress. They had felt the helplessness anybody who's ever done it, uh, who's been in that situation with a loved one, not being able to stop it, not being able to change the course of it. They knew of Christ's great power, but Jesus wasn't there. And they watched the brother die. And now relatives have come in. There's been a time of mourning. It was not uncommon and very common in their culture, not uncommon in our culture years ago, uh, to have uh, a viewing and such would be at the house of the person who died. And that was a thing for many years. And so something like that's going on. Look at verse 17 now. John 11, verse 17. Then when Jesus came, He found that He had lain in the grave four days already. So they had already buried Him according to the Jewish law they would have by that time. And so He's there and the people are back at the house trying to comfort the family. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Which makes me wonder if he was their source of livelihood and such. I don't know that, but certainly there was a big, a big emptiness in the family here from this. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still at the house. So they both very much followed their temperament in that, didn't they? Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Now, look what happens with this. Look what the statement goes on. He tells her he's going to rise again. Look what Martha says. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so she's taking Jesus' words just to be 
comfort words of a future prospect of things. Look at verse 25. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Then look at the last three words of that verse. Here's the issue. I told you the power of the resurrection is accessed by faith. He made a statement which was unequivocal. It was absolutely true. But now here's where, where it comes down to her. He asked Martha individually, Believest thou this? Now look at your preacher for a second. The issue comes down not to what does your husband believe, what does your wife believe? What does your family always believe? What does your mom believe? What does your dad believe? The issue comes down, what do you believe? That's where the faith comes in. And so this question is asked, he says to her, Believest thou this? Verse 27, She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, She's talking directly to Jesus. Wouldn't that have been wonderful to be able to see Him? We will one day, but we haven't yet. She saith unto Him, Yea, Lord, I believe that Thou art the Christ. As a Jewish lady, she knew the full implications of what she just said. The Son of God which should come into the world. The power of the resurrection in your life or mine is based on faith. At one point, there was a big crowd following Jesus. That happened more than once, but at one particular time, and he taught what was a pretty hard doctrinal statement. He wasn't harsh or mean with people, but he taught a strong statement. And the Bible said, many of them that followed him went away, walked no more with him. A bunch of the crowd just turned around and took off. And he turned to his disciples in that inner core of men, and he asked them this question. He said, Will you also go away? Isn't that something? Don't you love? Uh, and I'm not trying to in any way lessen him by this statement. I mean it is honoring. I love Jesus' leadership. The whole crowd walks away and he turns around there, still there. He says, Are you going to? And it's not a petulant statement. It's not a you gonna to leave too? He just looks at him. What are you going to do? Christ wasn't rattled, he wasn't shook. He knew who he was. So he asked him, What are you going to do? What's your decision? And Peter spoke up, and I believe spoke probably could have spoken for them all when he said, To whom will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. It's accessed by faith. How many of you know there are many strange things going on in our world right now? How many of you know that? How many of you in the half century and above crowd, of which I'm one, you're 50 years, if you don't know what that is, <laughs> 50 years old or older, how many of you know Things are radically different than anything you've ever seen. Things you, and here's the common thing, especially among our age group, is I never in the world thought I would see. It's not just in the United States. It's going on globally. All the missionaries I interact with are saying the same things about their countries. And yet, watch this. There's a hunger among people for the gospel of Christ. And then certainly there's something we have that we can help. We were kind of funny. We celebrated Logan's birthdays coming up on Tuesday. We were going to be out of state, so we had to get together at our house on Friday. 
and uh, uh, deal with these things. And we said something, he got, he got a pair of tennis shoes that were popular when we were in high school. Yeah. I think they may have come out of somebody's closet from back then. I'm not sure. No, they looked relatively new. Did you get those for him? No. He said, okay, they're probably new then. He went and did it. So he got them. Man, you went to high school with me. You could have been riding in style. But we laughed about it. And he said, yeah. He says, I think I was born a generation too late. My wife said something like that. And I understand that feeling. We can look at it. It was nostalgia. You can't really think nostalgia because you weren't there. But look at it and think you know nostalgia, but you weren't. Um, the, uh, but listen to this. That's never an accurate statement. David, by the will of God, served, served his generation by the will of God. God intended for us to be here now for his purposes. We have a purpose now. I don't care what's happened in your life. I don't care what dreams you've seen rise and fall. God has a purpose for you. Spoke with someone this week and they told me some things that and I don't know them well, but they told me about some things, not in detail, but had shattered some dreams, some decisions they'd made early in their life. But now they're rejoicing on the fact that God will use them. I'm glad I have a God like that. When someone comes to him with an honest and sincere heart, God can use us. What's the power of the resurrection? It's accessed by faith. It's accessed by faith. I, I want you to have the faith that I'm talking about. Um, not a worked up emotion. And emotion comes with it. God made us as an emotion being. But not based on that. Based on the reality of the resurrection. You say, well, what do you mean, preacher? I don't know if I'm quite getting it here. Let me put it this way. Christ defeated death. The wages of sin is death. So everything that I have ever damaged, every potential I've ever wasted, every false step I've ever made, God is greater than all that. And by faith, I believe that the one who raised himself from the dead and the one who will one day raise me from the dead can use my life on a day-by-day -day basis for Christ. I'm talking about the power of the resurrection. And then let me say to you, the power is not only is accessed by faith, we saw in that account, but the power comes from knowing a person. Isn't that what Martha said? <laughs> Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. What he asked her about, believest thou this, he didn't ask, do you believe in a resurrection? Do you believe that man can be raised? That's all he asked. It wasn't theoretical about an event. What he asked was, do you believe me? That I am the resurrection. And it comes from knowing a person. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Uh, it comes down to knowing about knowing who someone is, knowing the Lord. Someone may know religion but not know the Lord. Someone may know doctrine and not know the Lord. Someone may know theology. They may know how different doctrines go together but not know the Lord. I hope you are paying attention. 
Lord would like for you to. I know that the relationship with Christ is based on actually knowing who He is. So would you know all about Him? No, not yet. It's kind of neat, really. It's... Uh, <laughs> There's a song that says, the longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. That's, that's a neat song. But the more you find out about Him, the more you find out that there is to find out. I think if you've been in your Bible very much at all, you've had that time where you go through a passage with which you think you're very familiar, and all of a sudden you look at it and you go, oh, wow. Oh, I didn't never see that before. I'd run through this last week. I looked at it and I'm like, wow. It just, okay, that's... That's something I didn't see. Why? Because you're learning about Him. You're learning things. You're, you're finding out. You're growing. And uh, because He is eternal, you keep learning about Him. You know a person. It's a personal relationship. The, uh, you go out from here. We say you take Christ with you. Well, you do. If you're saved, He lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. But what about knowing Him? You want to tell other people about Him. You want to... You want to share who he is. We're talking about him. I don't have any problem telling people about our grandkids. In fact, I found out I can be as obnoxious as any other grandparent about it. It's kind of neat. You can carry lots of pictures of them now in the electronic age. There, you just have to flip them out. Hey, just here, scroll through. Yeah. And we understand each of our grandkids are the most adorable and the most genius and the most all. And that's something else. They're smarter than any of them. And you say you're spoiled talking that way. That's okay. That's when you send them home with the parents. <laughs> I don't have any trouble talking to somebody about my my uh, sons. You ready for this, kids? And my daughters. I don't like that happened now. All right. Never make that mistake again. Uh, I don't have trouble telling somebody about my wife. It's a natural part of conversation. It's because you know somebody and you care about somebody. You have people like that in your life or somebody in your life you tell them about. Maybe someone special to you. You talk about somebody. Christ, Christ deserves that. Christ deserves to have people talking good about Him. Christ deserves to have people telling people how good He is. And He deserves to have people honoring Him. You know, He literally looks at this place in this town, our town here. I wonder what all the ears of God heard this morning. I bet some of it, if we heard it, would break our hearts, wouldn't it? But yet, perhaps even from you, He heard singing, maybe He heard praising, maybe you've already prayed to the Lord today, talked to Him about something. And He loves that. He encourages you in it. The power of the resurrection. I'm talking about a different life. Some of you aren't overly interested in spiritual things because you don't know the power Maybe same people, but you don't know the power of that kind of life. That's why these things, passing things in this world, seem so alluring. <laughs> so alluring to be known, to be popular, to have this, to have that. Instead of enjoying the good things of life, but keeping them in their right perspective while your whole heart and love goes to God. Which is how God wants us to live. Power comes from knowing a person. The power of the resurrection is the foundation of a changed life. Christ died, and I know I'm not speaking down to you, I'm not overstating the point. Just listen for a moment and think with me. Christ died 
He entered into death. The wages of sin is death, but He entered into it even though He had not sinned. But He didn't stay there. Could not keep Him. When He came up with power over that, He gave us the ability to have victory in any given time in our life. When I baptize somebody and show that picture of them going under the water and back up, symbolizing and picturing and showing that they have believed in their heart in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I invariably said, buried in the likeness of His death, raised in the likeness in this picture of His resurrection. It's not supposed to end there. That's supposed to be the beginning of a walk that keeps learning about Him. And you keep growing. <laughs> and, and you keep getting to learn. And you'll have your moments of, oh man, I missed that one. And you can get back on track. And you can keep growing. And you can keep doing what's right. Why? Because there's a power in the resurrected life. There's a power in it. A vitality. A life. That religion cannot impart. But you have freely in Christ. Let me pray with you this morning, please. Father, thank You for Your words. Thank You for Your truth. Lord, it sure is way beyond my capacity to put in the language about all this. I'm glad for Your words and the Scripture we read. And Lord, You know our hearts. Father, I'm looking out here at the congregation while I'm preaching and seeing expressions actions little sneaky things people think they're doing some looks that are interested in others but truthfully Lord I can't really read any of those Lord you know my heart you know the heart of the people I just spoke to if I've spoken into the ears of someone today who doesn't actually know you as their savior may they not be satisfied Lord please that's where they are Thank you for the conviction you gave me on my life that good day back in 1980. Lord, would you give them conviction of their sin, of their need? Lord, if they need to be able to just take one more step and look up towards you again, God, I pray you'll help them with that. Bless this invitation. May people actually do business with you. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together, please, with our heads bowed. Simple question.